and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Carol O'Halloran, it is lovely to have you on She's the Boss Chats. Thank you so much for coming along. Jules, Brooke, it's fantastic to be on your amazing show. We're doing all this wonderful work for female entrepreneurs and encouraging more people to be female entrepreneurs. So awesome job. Oh, thank you. So let's start off with why don't you tell everyone what it is that you do right now? Well, this is a very interesting story um, (laughs) because uh, as of yesterday, (laughs) like what am I doing right now? Um, As of yesterday, it was announced uh, through seniorsonlinevic.gov that I am hosting the TV show uh, for the Seniors Festival. Oh, fantastic. That's brilliant. When does, when's that on? Uh, <laughs> we haven't even started it yet. It was announced yesterday. So I'm finding out the details uh, um, on Friday and working out the plan of action. So, so I'm going to be basically the face of the, um, the Seniors Festival. Well, that is absolutely <laughs> brilliant. So tell everyone what it is that you do because they'll be going, well, why have they asked Carol? Uh, well, I started a TV show uh, back in it, when COVID hit. Yeah, I started a TV show for the over fifty market because I've always been passionate about the over fifty market, and I felt really compelled to do this because of COVID and all the people in isolation, especially the seniors, the most vulnerable that were not getting out at all. Um, so I started the TV show. Uh, over 50 so what which is all about you can't use your age as an excuse you know you've got <laughs> just got to get out there and live every single day to the max that don't use your age as an excuse for anything and uh the show's running on community i pitched it to the community tv and they grabbed it uh so it's running uh on community tv on channel 31 in victoria and South Australia picked it up as well. So it's twice a week here and three times a week in South Australia. Fantastic. So was there a bit of a light bulb moment that you had that you just went, oh, my God, I'm going to start a TV show? Like what was it that made you just suddenly decide TV was the way to go and then go and pitch as well, which is very impressive? Well, this has been a long time coming. Uh, I was in TV about 16, 17 years ago. Right. and then I went away from it. But for the last 10, 10 years plus, maybe ever since then, I've always wanted to do a TV show and I've had numerous attempts. It's this thing about you've got to be persistent. So I've done cap, tried to do capital raising. I've been to production houses. I had people, you know, saying, look, be really, really careful. People are going to pinch your IP. And then I had a bit of a fallout last, last year with another attempt, you know, to, to get the thing up and running. And then they said, you got to get hundred grand to get a pilot together, et cetera, oh et cetera. <laughs> and then, and then it just so happened um, that uh, I wasn't working anymore. And yep. I had the time to actually put into this passion that I've actually, I'd put together a full mission value statement, everything like 10 years ago. So I had it sitting there like I was, this is what I want to do. And so I've been wanting to do it for a long, long time. 
Well, isn't it fantastic, really, that the COVID, in, on the one hand, has been an absolute nightmare, and on the other hand, it's like the gift that keeps on giving for a whole lot of people because it just motivates us and gives us that time to kind of go, well, if I'm not doing anything else, I might as well do what I really, really want to do. Exactly. And uh, to think that it was something I was doing 16 years ago and I had to start from scratch all over again. I didn't have any contacts anymore in that field. I moved down from Sydney. So I had had to completely start from scratch with networks, et cetera. And the whole uh, platform had changed because, you know, there wasn't all the online TV and everything back back then when I was on TV. So the whole landscape's changed. Well, look, I think that, um, you know, as somebody who when I was offered the opportunity for TV, I went, it's got to be about women in business. If I hadn't done that, it would have been people over 40 or 55, really, because 40 or 50, exactly what you're doing, because I just feel like it's incredibly underrepresented. So I love what you're doing. But anyway, let me just take you right the way back now, because I want to hear how your career has unfolded really since you left school. So and I've got plenty of time to hear it. So do you want to tell me about Uh, what you've been up to? Well, I'm actually a Kiwi. (laughs) I'll forgive you for that. Don't worry. (laughs) So uh, I went to, I was at school in in New Zealand and as to be expected, you know, a good uh, secure job for a woman is so she can bring up a family is to become a school teacher. So I, I was sort of being, you know, steered in that direction. Yeah. Uh, But after I finished um, high school, I actually went and did a one-year business course. And Ooh, that was smart. And and did, I learned all the you know, accounting, bookkeeping, secretarial schools, everything, you know, and um, and I thought, oh, this will be handy to have. And, uh, and as it turns out, uh, you know, I learned how to touch type, which I'm so liquid lightning on the keyboard, which makes – it's made a huge impact on my whole career because I can basically type as fast as I can speak. So I'm, I can be really productive because, you know, I, I don't have to look at my fingers at all. And so I did the business course and then I went to teacher's college for three years in uni. Right. And what did you want to teach? Uh, so I actually majored in Maori language. Right. Uh, and Which my, so just I'll just say for anyone who can't see you, you are obviously not Maori originally, so that's interesting <laughs> that you chose to do that as a language. I mean, I love it. I think that's brilliant. Uh, well, it was, you know, the culture of my country, et cetera. And it's since that time, which is obviously many, you know, 40 years ago, whatever, um, you know, it is now they use the, all the Maori words and all letterheads and businesses and it's more incorporated into the language. But when I did it, it wasn't a thing at all. So it was quite unusual for, you know, me to go down that path. And the secondary yeah. subject I took was physical education. Right. And I know I happen personally to know which one you ended up doing a lot with, but uh, <laughs> have, you, have, have you used the Maori language? Have you had an opportunity to use that over time? Uh, not really. I did actually become a school teacher for a couple of years. Okay. Was, so that, so pri- with, was that straight out of, so out of, um, school you went and did the business course and then, um, the teaching course and ended, is that how it worked at the time? What was yes. the sort of progression? Yes. So I did the business course and I did the 
teaching course and then I ended up teaching um, what's called intermediate school over there, which is 11 and 12 year olds going through puberty. Right, um, lovely. And <laughs> the second year I walked in and I had 43 kids in my class and people sitting on the windowsill and there was organized gangs and crime and stuff at that age and uh, it became a bit too much and there was too much smoking as well by the teachers. I just, I just found that it was not an environment I wanted to be in. You go into the staff room and, you know, you had to fight your way through the smoke because there were so many smokers in the... It's hard to believe now that that was acceptable, isn't it, really, when you think about it, particularly now I don't think you're even allowed to smoke on school grounds. No, you're not. Not that anybody does anymore, but amazing. Okay, so what happened after that? Uh, well, uh, I started dancing when I was a teenager and okay. um, ballet what and jazz. Of, any, what kind? Oh, yeah, I was going to say what kind. So ballet and jazz? Ballet and jazz. And I'd also started performing in nightclubs and for football clubs and all sorts of things, uh, doing yeah, lip sync and that wow. and da- dancing around and ended up doing some TV work with, you know, in a skimpy outfit with big feathers on my head and all that sort of thing. So well, that was the main way that women got on television in those days. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Thank God that's not the case now. <laughs> I don't think anyone would ever watch my show if I had to wear a bikini. <laughs> yeah. Well, so so I actually started teaching women's keep fit um, when I was like 17. So I was right. doing that on the side, teaching um, jazz and women's keep fit. Yeah. Um, and then one when the school the school thing um uh didn't happen, you know, the teaching. Yeah. I actually this is something a bit wacky. I mean, my my career is quite varied, you know. You can look Great. at how many I love you, a varied career. Apart you look from at how many times the, yeah, uh, you look Yeah, I was look, gonna say that a lot of women think when they're younger that, you know, you just choose a career and you follow that nice smooth trajectory to get there, but it actually doesn't work out like that at all, which is why I love doing these interviews. Yes, I've reinvented myself many, many times. I originally wanted to be a choreographer and a translator. Right. And uh, after the teaching, I actually became a house model. Right. So I was a lingerie model. and. Wow. Um, <laughs> How did that even happen? <laughs> so, so because I did the business course, I got a the house model. You had to do sort of secretarial work, and I worked for a fashion house. And then a client would come in, and I'd have to jump up and put on the clothes because I was a stock size twelve and yep. model for them. And then I ended up going on the road with the sales rep, staying in motels and modelling lingerie in the motels, and the retailers would come to the motel. <laughs> That's mad. <laughs> right. So, so and swimwear, swimwear and lingerie, yeah. <laughs> from business degree to teacher for primary school through to lingerie model, already my head is spinning. So what happened after that and how, you know, what did the lingerie modelling do for you? Was that just a career, um, you know, just something to do at the time to bring in the bucks, I guess? Well, I did do other modelling, as uh, you know, they had – Laundry was one of the ranges. I actually started getting involved in product development and the marketing then. Ah, that sounds very interesting. So the brand name that I came up with for the lingerie range is still in the market today, and that's from 1970-something. And what's it called? Intrigue. Oh, well, I am intrigued. Okay, so <laughs> so tell me what happened. Uh, um, what does a lingerie model do next? 
So what a lingerie model does next? Well, I was teaching the Keep Fitness and um, – so was this you working for other uh, a gym or something, teaching fitness, or how did that? No, I was just doing it in the local school hall and things like that. Um, doing oh, okay. it myself, and then someone said, "Come along to Les Mills, and um, they're starting this fitness program or whatever." And so I went along, and I was one of the very first people to start instructing what was called jazzercise. Which was early aerobics, was it? That was pre-aerobics. So. Yeah, amazing. I remember doing that actually in high school and we were so excited because we could kind of put on the leg warmers and pretend we were like fame um, doing that. that. I think that was just as um, aerobics was coming out and we were at school. But so um, so you were teaching jazz exercise. So uh, that was when we had to carry around vinyl records. Um, and <laughs> and I'll it. never forget I was teaching a session in a school uh, yep. on the stage and – the the record player was just you know sitting up on a platform, and I had all these kids singing. You can't stop the music. Nobody can <laughs> stop the because that was really big then. Yeah, yeah. And the needle jumped off the record, and when the whole record player went crashing to the ground, and the music was stopped right in the middle of everyone singing. You can't stop the music. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so very funny. Yes, so I ended up one of the the first group of like five instructors and I ended up travelling right around New Zealand uh, setting up franchises, training fitness instructors, uh, helping them with business, you know, (laughs) you know, how to get their businesses set up. So putting in systems for franchises uh, and then managing. So at 23, I was managing 30 staff uh, and running the whole of the South Island and then I'm I went up to Wellington and did managed up the north half of the North Island, etc. Wow, that's crazy, isn't it? So you just sort of think, wow, that business degree did come in handy. So, um, <laughs> so once you've sort of, um, I guess, taught the whole of New Zealand about jazz exercise, um, what was the next step? Well, I produced. I was asked to produce a fitness record. So this is a vinyl record. Okay. So I produced a vinyl record on 1981 and it became, it broke three world records and was top of the charts above the Rolling Stones for six weeks. No, I do not believe that. That would have been a brilliant quirky fact. <laughs> Never mind that. I was not expecting that. So you had a number one jazz exercise record out there in the world. I want to see the cover. You're going to have to post it up in the She's the Boss group. Oh, I've, I've actually got it just over there, actually. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. So my goodness. So everyone would love a record that goes to number one around the world. How, what, how, you know, what, what was that like and what, what did that do for you? Well, that sort of catapulted me into a whole different mental place, you know, like um, I, I really bet. felt I really felt at the time because I was, I can't remember, I 25 or something at the time. Yeah. Um, and I was pirated in the Philippines and, you know, they – and uh, then the the record company, because it was so successful, they approached me to make a sexercise record, right. a vinyl record. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> because because you have to remember, you're trying to teach exercise just with audio. There's no, you know, there, yeah. we did we did do a booklet with pictures in it, but. We had uh, lots of sound effects. There was lots of grunting and groaning, push harder and all that sort of thing. You know, yes, you can do it. Oh yeah. So, so they liked. They wanted me to sort of yeah take that 
to a next step, which I declined, I might add. <laughs> right, right. So what did you do instead if you turned that down? Uh, well, then I was asked to go and they flew in New Caledonia. They flew me over to teach fitness there because they heard about me and my little, little, you know, gold record. <laughs> and a so big I was gold medal record. <laughs> so I was yes. teaching fitness in French for a few weeks over there. Um, and then uh, men got in the way, boyfriends. And so, long story short, uh, and then I started setting up my own franchise. Right, um, and then a few that sort of all what fell to the wayside for a number of reasons. Um, I had a business I'd love partner. To, uh, actually, I was going to say I'd love to explore those reasons because if you think about this podcast being out there to help other women, we all have stuff ups. We all have things that get are out of our control that happen to us, and often it sends you in another direction, or at least you learn something from it. So, can you tell us some of the things that went wrong? Uh, well, I had a business partner. He was funding the whole thing. And because my sort of, you know, semi-fame is this, you know, yep. um, I was doing all the training, setting up manuals, training instructors, setting up franchises, et cetera. And he was just bankrolling it. So right. he was just funding it. And he had a, a series of fitness centers. Um, but his fitness centers started to run into trouble. Then he couldn't put money into our franchise. And I found out very uh, the hard way um i went to fly to uh, overseas to the u.s i think it was i was going to a a fitness conference in the u.s and he said uh you can't leave the country because you're registered as director of this company and um oh no and it shows that we've got debts and you might be arrested at the airport or you might be you know denied Oh, my God. Well, there you go. So what did you do then? Not go or did you just risk it or or did you get him out? I I think from memory I actually paid him some money to help him pay off the debts. Right. And I I, um, I can't remember. I think I had to go through transit somehow and not not land anyway. So it it was an interesting, you know, so the guy, guy, you know, had a – hard time and he tried to do the right thing by me but you know yeah oh well, oh, well at least he wasn't trying to rip you off or anything I no, mean did that, he wasn't he did, wasn't did and did that um did his gym franchise end up going under yes oh, I think so love. yes um right. well, definitely the program I was running uh did okay uh, so, which was sort of run separately to the gym business but and you know town town halls and school halls and things. So with this, um, you know, world gold record and you travelling all over the world and um, demonstrating techniques and and holding classes and things, what do you do next when when the money turns off um, from this guy? What did you do next? Uh, Well, with him, we were just setting up franchises around (laughs) Auckland to start with. Um, And so when, anyway, what happened, I met a bloke when I went to the fitness um, conference in America. Right, and he lived in Sydney, and I lived in New Zealand. And the long story short, that uh, was cheaper to move to Australia than to pay the phone bill. <laughs> <laughs> well, lucky us, so we got to have you. So there was, yeah. So there you was, came, did you arrive? I mean, I, I haven't heard anything about marriages or relationships. Or did you arrive kind of on your own with a with a 
bag and ready to kind of hit the world or how did it all unfold that you came here? Did you have a job at the, to come to? No, 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 not at all. I just had the, a bloke. Right. <laughs> a very, very nice gentleman, but uh, he, he was actually married when I first met him. Right. And um, I had said to him, as soon as I found out in America when I was traveling, I said, sorry, that's it. Anyway, so long story short, he left his wife and I ended up moving to Australia and marrying him. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> so I just moved over to be with him and um, then I started doing some work in the fitness industry in Australia. Right. Um, just teaching classes basically and then I, bas- I, was, I got picked up to present a fitness video for the over 50s. Right. So I've been specialising in the over 50s since 1988. And how old were you then? About 35. <laughs> wow. When you thought all people over 50 were old fogies, they look at us now. <laughs> so so I've just, um, yeah, um, there was a bicentennial grant and we we produced a fitness video with Roger Clemson. Yeah. Um, you've probably heard of him. And uh, so we produced over fitness and that's that's still going and it's still in the market now so what was the what was the um attraction to over 50s when you're 35 well for me it was a bit broader than that that was the project that came up originally the the whole funding and the grant was around the the older person, but right. working with the people, and I was one of the uh, founding members of the Gentle Exercise Association in Australia, and we set up the association to to help cater for the older adults that weren't being catered for in the fitness industry, but also the sedentary, unfit people, the deconditioned people. So right. providing a gentle program for anyone to get started. I think I might need that myself now. <laughs> I haven't been locked down for seven months. Not that I was fit before, but I'm certainly sedentary now. Um, okay, so so um, after you did the video, what happened? I, I mean, have you sort of – was your whole career always in, in health and fitness for the rest of your – like to now or have you moved into no, other areas no, as well? No, totally not. Come on, then tell me all the stories. So uh, <laughs> so after the fitness video, I set up my own business training fitness instructors and I ended up training instructors in seven countries and picking up some major sponsors like Milk Marketing Board and um, LA Gear and um, a few others. So I travelled around Australia, little country towns like Young and Dubbo and and Tasmania right. and and Philippines and uh, you know Kuala Lumpur all over training fitness instructors uh, with the help of sponsors. So I was sponsored, and then I had some some trainers work with me as well. And I was I was still doing choreography and doing uh, and demos and shopping centres and things as well. Wow! Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I was doing accredited courses and you know uh, training people. So a lot of the training I did in regional areas was specifically with older adults, you know, working with diversional therapists and physiotherapists right. and that. I mean, it's a real thing now, obviously. You hear about it all the time, but it must have been quite novel in those days. And also because 50 was ancient 
30 years mm. ago. Mm. You know, like really you were, you know, you started putting on the flesh colored stockings and the, you know, sensible lace ups and tweed skirts and that kind of thing. Or well, certainly I've got photos of my grandparents that I thought, my God, they must've been in their seventies. And I discovered they were about 46 in them. So, <laughs> you know, it's just a different era now. So, um, all right. So how, what, what happened? Were you doing all this traveling around the world? And I just, you can't underestimate the importance of networking. I was. Never, I never uh, do. But I was doing direct, yeah, I was doing direct mail campaigns and I got invited, invited by Australia Post to go to the private box at the footy. So I went along, had some lovely champagne and eats and everything. I'm not really into football at all. Neither and am I, but those corporate <laughs> boxes are pretty bloody nice. They are. <laughs> I don't care about what's going on on the back of the field, but the champagne and the food and just the positioning of it is lovely. <laughs> yeah, and I met a gentleman who said, um, will you do some work on TV for me? So um, you'd be great to present advertorials and that on TV. So I started working with him presenting a lot of – uh, fitness and health related products. I did and so do what it. sort of TV was this? Was this sort of like the Carrie Ann Kennelly yes, kind of so advertorials on, in the mornings? Yep, yep. So I was okay. on, on Bert Newton, on Carrie Ann Kennelly. <laughs> 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 New idea, yeah, whatever. Yeah, um, right. Uh, so, yes, doing selling fitness and health products and advertorials, and I did some 30 second, you know, things as well. Yeah. Um, and then I picked up uh, another major uh, TV marketing company um, grabbed me to put together a weight loss program for TV um, with a package okay. they could sell through an infomercial. Yeah. So I put took a year to put this whole thing together, and we I had a TV show called Slender Secrets. Wow, that you are so amazing! This is I'm just absolutely loving this chat. So, what was what, what was this like? Channel Nine or or what was what was? Yeah, it was infomercial, so it was on seven, nine, and ten, and it was okay. on in Australia and New Zealand. Um, and it was on for about six months or so. Um, and that so was after it. having had your best selling record, and then you've got a TV show and everything. Were you kind of being mobbed in the supermarket? Did that kind of thing happen to you? Uh, I wasn't mobbed, but, you know, I was approached by people like the uh, security guards at the airport. I've seen you before somewhere, <laughs> you know, <really laughs> trying to pick up my suitcase at the airport. They're coming up to me. I think I've seen you on late night TV. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, well, yeah, so I had a little bit, a little window of, of fame back a bit then. Of, a bit of fame and glory. I mean, <laughs> and I, actually, you know, it's the sort of thing that when we were younger, maybe we really wanted or, or thought sounded glamorous, but I don't actually think that kind of um, fame probably does anyone any favours anymore. So it's kind of good that you just got a little taste of it. That's probably about perfect for what you would want. Yes, that's right. Okay, so the TV show, the infomercials are going on. What, what, what's next? How, what was the next step in the um, exciting Carol adventure? Well, I sort of, um, yeah, my, my income was very sporadic and I was sort of thinking I'm getting a bit older. I need something a bit more stable, you know. Right. And I did actually pick up um, another job where I ended up being a product manager, but I was also doing TV for them as well. So I was doing, um, again, infomercials and advertorials for them. Right. Um, but I had a full-time salary. 
Nice. And I, and I was a product manager and the company I worked for was in uh, complementary medicine manufacturing. Oh, again, prescient of you because that was, you know, that, that when you think how massive that market is now. Shark cartilage and all that sort of thing and CoQ10 and, you know. Right, shark cartilage as you do. So, <laughs> so I had, it was a mixture of product management and, um, yeah, TV and in that one job and then I uh, went on holiday and I came back to find the whole company had gone under while I was on holiday. Oh, no. Did, <laughs> did they owe you a whole lot of money at that stage or was it just the idea of um, um, just the fact that the, the, the income tap had been turned off? Yes, it was just a matter of the income tap had been turned off. I picked up the phone to start working on the Monday and there was nobody there. <laughs> It's amazing to me that people would do that, don't you think? Like really that someone would just allow allow an employee to ring up and find, oh, sorry, the business has gone under. Yes. Well, was, uh, they said, oh, we didn't want to ruin your holidays. I come back with a big credit card bill six weeks later. <laughs> oh, God. So I was like, "What? where to now, you know? Yeah, I bet. Although those moments often are when you do start thinking outside of the box. So what did you decide to do next? Well, um, a friend of mine said, oh, my accountant is looking for someone to do some marketing for them. Okay. <laughs> There's one out of left field. Right. <laughs> so um, I um, went along and uh, started working. It was in uh, the manufacture of chocolate. Oh, yum. <laughs> so I've gone, I've gone from promoting weight loss to a selling chocolate. <laughs> Well, there you go. That's that nice, broad, full spectrum, isn't it, from one one extreme to the other. So I started doing some part-time work for them and then they said, um, what do you think you could do if we made you full-time? So I said, oh, I, um, I reckon I can triple your income in 12 months. And so they put me on full-time as marketing and sales manager. Yeah. And at the end of 12 months, I said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a bit overestimated. We've only doubled the income. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> and uh, the turnover, and he said, that's okay. I didn't give you any marketing money. <laughs> <laughs> wow, amazing. So did you love that job? So it was a great job and I got to work in New York and London and Spain <laughs> oh, wow. and Portugal and Germany and um, America. Yes. So I got to do a bit of traveling and I was, so I, I was setting up distributors overseas. Right. So I was uh, doing export retail, working with major retailers, distributors, yeah, all the sales and marketing. I was doing packaging, branding, everything. So. Wow. That is, that's a really big call for somebody who maybe hasn't got a massive experience in it. I mean, I used to work in packaging design and that's a speciality all in itself. So, you know, that's a lot to have on your plate. So how long did you work with them for? 10 years. Oh my God. Again, wasn't what I expected you to say. <laughs> Right. Okay. So 10 years doing that. Um, and obviously lots and lots of travel and, and lots learned. How did that end? Why? And what came next? Uh, I've been headhunted a couple of times to come to Melbourne. Right. 
Um, so I'd flown down twice yeah, for two other companies and then a third company had hunted me and offered to pay my relocation fees and everything. So to come down and that was food manufacturing again. So, um, so basically that was a third company to headhunt me to Melbourne. So that's how so I ended up in Melbourne. And I, after 10 years, I, you know, I handed in my notice and <laughs> packed up my entire house in four weeks. And Wow. Uh, and moved out on your own? Or was everyone thought you I was, at that stage? Everyone thought I was crazy because I was 58 then. And oh, well, I bet, but actually you were incredibly smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I haven't regretted I was going to say up until, up until the last seven months, I would have said you'd made a really good decision. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I've never regretted coming to Melbourne, and, um, and, but leaving my in, in complete social network behind, and I have no family in Australia. So um, it was just my so was, friends and social networks for 28 years in Sydney. Yeah, that's a challenge. It's always really, really hard to go and sort of set up in a new city and sort of start all over again. Um, did you, did, did you find some friends quickly or was that kind of quite a lonely time at first? Uh, well, I'm pretty good at making friends and making connections. Yeah, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think you're backward <laughs> in coming forward. So you would have met people pretty quickly. Well, uh, with my work in the chocolate factory, I used to fly to Melbourne and do expos and, and, you know, work with a distributor in Melbourne. So I'd already established some relationships, uh, in with people, other people in the food manufacturing. Right. That, that were in Melbourne. So, um, yeah, so that's how I got to Melbourne. Yep. Um, I had a bit, a few very eventful things happen within the first six months. Such uh, as? I was the victim of severe bullying. Um, oh, my God, not you as well, Carol. You're about the fourth woman that I have spoken to that's had this kind of awful bullying. What happened to you? So, um what happened is within the first few months of being in Melbourne, I had an accident. I went to New Zealand for my, to bury my mum's ashes, to sprinkle my mother's ashes, slipped over a road, smashed my face in, um, fractured my skull and my cheekbone and everything and had to have a facial reconstruction. Oh, my giddy aunt. <laughs> and, and this is all within That's the first major. five months of hitting Melbourne. And yeah. my employer at the time um, was phoning the doctor wanting to see proof of my medical records. You know, he was demanding I get back to work two days after I had facial reconstruction and, and you know. Um, so needless to say, I wasn't there for, for very long. No, and I hope when you let, walked out, you, you gave him a piece of your mind before you walked out and slammed the door. So it was <laughs> very, it was, it, it was very, very difficult because I had no support system. I'd moved house, I had no support system. My face was smashed in. I had major surgery, and then I had no job. So, oh. um, in a foreign in Melbourne, um, yeah. but one of the companies that had headhunted me previously snapped me up, um, and I started doing some part time and became full time with them. Oh, well, that's great. Thank goodness. I mean, you, you just needed mm. you needed someone to extend some <laughs> some kind of chink of light, I would have thought. I mean, you must have felt at the time like, oh, my God, is there anything else that can go wrong? Yes, because I, you know, I was renting as well um, because I you know, hadn't yeah. bought a place in Melbourne. Um, so it was extremely traumatic, the most traumatic thing that's ever happened because I had five major life events happen at once. So 
it was down. Yeah, that's huge. But tell me, what did that do for your career and for your decisions as to what you wanted to do? Because I often feel like it's times like that that you do kind of take stock, I guess, and think, what am I doing and what do I want to do and that kind of thing? Or was it more of a case of I just need some work because I need to be able to buy the groceries? Uh, it was survival mode at that time. Yep. Um, definitely because, but the shock and the trauma of everything I went through, you know, I had to try and get over that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I did just, yeah, I just, I just, you know, started working and working it through and then, but, um, you know, sort of thinking, I still kept working on the TV show on the side, you see. Isn't that funny? You just couldn't let it go. I couldn't let it go. It meant to happen. I'm sure you'll be on mainstream TV before we know it again. So, okay, so you're working with the TV show on the side and you've taken this other job. I don't even know how long ago is this now um, uh, that, you, that your mother died and, and you, you – Oh, know, that was, the, it was six years ago, I think, yeah. Oh, okay, so not that long ago. And no. so um, – and, and I'm, I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you're not working for anyone else now. The TV show is it. Is that right? Yes. So I am the producer of the TV show. Um, and I have full creative, which is fantastic. Yes, it is. So tell me, how did that all come about? So you've had this dream about having a TV show. You'd obviously, I mean, and I have to say, I've got folders full of TV shows that I have pitched all over the place. And I did manage to get one that we managed to pitch to shine just before it launched in, in Australia and they loved it. And then they ditched it at the last minute. But um, had, had you had experiences of pitching it and having it turned down or was it just always just sitting there waiting for the right moment? I did before I came to Melbourne, just before I did uh, speak with a production company who were just over the moon with it, but they said they needed to finance the pilot to kick it off and I'd need to get some finance to make it happen. Um, yeah. I heard uh, that one too. And it was like a hundred grand or something then for the, it, the, the, what we heard it on ours was produce it yourselves, do all the production costs. And then when you're ready, come to us with it and we will put it on if you pay us a hundred grand. I was like, are you out of your brain? You should be paying me. And they were going, no, 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 it's not like that in television anymore. Yeah. So, so did, basically it was, you- I had exactly the same. I had to spend a hundred <laughs> grand. Um, they oh, the did. the cheek of them. They did. <laughs> They they did warn warn me not and not they weren't the only ones to warn me off some of the major production houses who blatantly say on their website they they can pinch they'll pinch your idea, right? So they um so they were but they were support. I even produced a trailer and a sizzle tape and everything with a with a producer. So I I packaged it all up, done the whole pitch to the production house, and then I moved to Melbourne. So that's uh, you know. So I had a few things, but I did have a few other things. I did write a book also um, <laughs> because I was involved with hosting a TV infomercial called Journey to Longevity, and yeah. they said, if you write this book, we'll sell it for you on TV. So I ended up selling 11,000 copies of this book <laughs> as well. So I don't mean to keep get laughing because it's funny. It's just laughing because <laughs> I'm incredulous, like honestly, the experiences <laughs> you've had. Right, so you wrote a book. And then, uh, and, and it sold 11,000 copies, which I think most books in Australia, for anyone listening, I think it's a bestseller if it gets to 5,000. Yes, so that's you're right. you're doing very well. And, <laughs> and uh, so I did PR campaigns around that. And then I also got picked up by a complimentary medicine company and they paid me to do a couple of seminars and produced a DVD, which was sent to 10,000 of their members around Australia. So I had my DVD sent to 10,000 people around Australia, that's me doing amazing. a motivational thing. 
Was that fernwood or one of those big kind of ones for women or we don't no, mention? No, uh, complementary medicine, so vitamins oh. and minerals. Yeah, okay, okay, Blackmores or something, but I'm not going to ask what the brand was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so all, I mean, honestly, your career sounds incredible. Along the way, um, just because this is a show for women in business and I like to if possible, um, talk about women that have helped other women because that is my motto is helping up the women around you. So have you had any women that sort of stand out that have helped you in your career? Uh, not women, no. But wow. I think, I think that, Do you think that's television land and fitness, that it's all too competitive? No, I think the biggest impact was one of my first boyfriends that I had back in 1980, 81. Right. He was a real entrepreneur. Yep. Uh, like multiple businesses and things and he was only 30 or something at the time. Yeah. So he was a major influence in me becoming entrepreneurial because I didn't get that from anyone in my family. Right. And I was always inspired by Jane Fonda. Uh, yes, I think a lot of us were. And Richard <laughs> and Simmons. Still are, let's be honest. <laughs> uh, Jane Fonda is still amazing. Yeah, Richard Simmons, I remember him so well. So, so yes, there was there really no more males, no, I think. Wow, mm. isn't that interesting? Isn't that mm. and kind of sad? I would have to say because um, I would like to have think that have thought that there would be some women that would have helped you along the way, but it is what it is. Now, my next thing, and I don't know whether we've kind of covered it, but I was going to talk about pivotal moments. So, where something has kind of presented a challenge to you and what you've learned is that are there any and, and I, let's not talk specifically about them because you've kind of covered off a lot of them but if you were now speaking to somebody else who wanted to get a tv show up or who wanted to become big in infomercials or whatever what sort of things have you learned along the way that you would advise have you got any sort of tips you could share uh, well, basically, networking is a big thing. Like I said, yeah. I, you know, my first break into TV was purely going to a networking, you know, opportunity yep. to meet people. Um, and for me, it's probably 15 years of being persistent of wanting to get this off the ground and just keep trying and trying and trying and going down this avenue. That didn't work. I'll try down this avenue. Then I'll go down this avenue. And um, and then the big pivotal moment was last year, uh, end of last year, I thought, that's it. I'm not working for anyone ever again, promoting unhealthy products, high sugar products, making people fat and unhealthy. It's not my value system. Yeah. It's not in line with my values so I need to do something that's in line with my values, something that I'm passionate about. And at my age, when everyone's saying you should be retiring, um, <laughs> I decided that's it. This is it. This is my passion. I'm doing it. Brilliant. That's it. I'm doing it. So the, I would say the biggest learning out of that, and it's one that I use all the time, is just never give up. I mean, there are absolutely stacks of people out there with ideas and things they'd like to do, but it's the the ones that get it are the ones that don't give up and just keep on picking yourself. Someone says no and you just like kind of brush off your shoulders and off you go and try another avenue. So I reinvented myself at 58 and then I, I'm now at 64. Yes. So I, so I just completely reinvented myself again at 64 and I, you know, went to the YouTube conference where everyone's under 30 and, and I was 30 years older than everybody and learned <laughs> all about you. YouTube and editing and graphics and learning it all myself. And, yeah. and just decided, you know, that's it. I'm not done. 
Good. I like to hear that. I don't think you'll ever be done. None of us are going to be done until we're dead <laughs> or until we decide that we want to be. So um, how do you juggle your work and your life when bearing in mind it's such a passion? Do you have set hours that you do work or is it just sort of ad hoc whenever you need to? No, because I'm producing a TV show every week. So that is more than a full-time job. Right. So I'm extremely disciplined. I time the amount of work I do every day. I try and work, you know, Monday to Friday and have the weekends off. I try not to let it spill into the yeah, weekends, good idea. especially yep. with COVID and it, everything's in my house and I'm single. <laughs> and it's just like Groundhog Day, isn't it? <laughs> so, so yeah, so at the moment and I can't have a personal life because we can't have a personal life. You know? No, you're not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> One of the huge drawbacks of pandemic for single people, yes, that it's hard to get out and meet other people. So you're producing the show from home? Yes, everything's being done from home. Um, the new thing that I've just picked up hosting the uh, Seniors Festival TV show, uh, they'll probably have to go um, into a studio for that. Oh, exciting. You get a little bit great to get out of the house. <laughs> I know the feeling too. I have to say I've been producing mine at home now for the last couple of months and uh, I, I like the idea of being able to get out to a studio and just sort of separate home and work. But on the other hand, it's incredibly fabulous these days that there's so much, such low barriers to being able to produce a show, you know, like you can stream it online. I mean, I know you've got it on, on uh, but you're right. You can put it up on YouTube. You can get yourself some cameras and equipment and, and off you go. Well, well you, you, when you think of Jamie Oliver produced his cooking show just with his phone, you yeah, know, carry amazing. on cooking. So that really set the benchmark. Anyone can produce a DVD. If Jamie Oliver can do it on his phone, anybody can do That's it. That's right. Him. That's absolutely right. So, okay, now I don't know whether there are any left, but I always ask at the end of the interview, a journalist told me to do this and I love the answers I get. Is there a quirky fact that most people don't know about you that you'd be prepared to share with us? Well, the quirky fact is that everyone thinks that um, I'm not domesticated whatsoever and they take <laughs> photos of they see me in the kitchen. Oh, really? Because <laughs> um, I've, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and people give me cookbooks as a hint for birthday presents and I give them back to them. I'm like, why right, do I need this? Okay. <laughs> um, but I actually can knit and sew and crochet. Wow. Um, which is not at all my image of being, you know, a little homebody. <laughs> no, it isn't. That's more kind of granny behaviour. But I guess you were probably doing it when you were 20. I know. I, we did crocheting and macrame at school. <laughs> I was just looking at some macra macrame sort of seems to be coming back. And yes, it, was it always, is. Yeah. It was always uh, something that I just thought was so strange to have hanging baskets with macrame. But anyway, that was maybe just me. <laughs> but I think that. That's a great quirky fact. So how are you feeding yourself through COVID and lockdown? Is that all takeaways? No, I don't do takeaways. So so I just So you've had to teach yourself how to cook? Oh look, I always cook but I'm basic, you know, just right. stir stir fry or salads and you know, just a bit of salmon or whatever. Oh well that sounds pretty good to me. I do I do put a few little herbs and things on <laughs> occasionally, but I'm not a, not known for entertaining at home and cooking meals for people right. and all that. 
Yeah, yeah. No, fair enough. Always nice to go out to a restaurant, and particularly when we come out, I think the restaurants are going to so badly need it. All right, so now we're just down to the last two sort of silly questions, which are really about your phone. So it's nothing to do with your career. I'm just obsessed with my phone and my phone apps. So I decided I'd start asking people. So do you have useful apps on your phone that you use for business? And if so, just one or two, um, if so, and it can't be email and banking. Cause I'm going to assume that take that as a given. Uh, no, I don't have any useful apps that I use for business okay. at all. And then what about fun? Do you play games on your phone? Uh, no, not at all. Right. <laughs> well, I'm glad I asked the question. <laughs> well, Carol, uh, honestly, I just, I, I, your quirky fact really has to be I had a worldwide number one um, that beat the, the Rolling Stones. Vinyl record. Vinyl <laughs> record that beat the Rolling Stones. I think that needs to be your absolute um, top thing. That's fantastic. But thank you so much for this great interview. Now, if anyone wants to get hold of you or to watch your show, can you give everyone the details? So uh, the website's carolohalloran.com, right. lovely Irish name, Carol O'Halloran. With two uh, L's. With two L's, O-R-A-N, O-R-A-N, yep. yeah, dot com. And the TV show is called Over 50 So What? <laughs> so Over 50 So What? So you can find it on Facebook. You can find it all the replays on YouTube. Great. Um, so that's, yeah, so you can get me through YouTube, Facebook, Over or the website. Over 50 So What? All right, brilliant. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's just been fascinating. Thanks, thanks, Jules. I'm sure you found some things out you weren't expecting. <laughs> I sure did. Thank you. And uh, yes, yeah, so, so all the best to all your viewers. And I just say, keep going, keep being persistent because you might hit 64 and then it all comes together. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'll live in hope. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'sthebos.com.au.